Welcome to Threshold Church. So if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to pray here in just a minute, but last week, last week I shared that for this month, the month of March, just really had a sense of a specific theme for this month being the kingdom of God, being just really a, yeah, a focus or a theme for us to dive into. So I gave a real short message last week, and then we had a time of intercession and prayer. It's really, really awesome, really powerful to be praying, praying together. And we're going to kind of keep going further into this theme today. I want to talk about establishing a kingdom culture, establishing a kingdom culture, the culture of God's kingdom. So I want to pray. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit to really move during this time and, uh, and just use it for his purposes. Father, I thank you for this evening. God, we're gathered here in the name of Jesus, Father. We're here in the name of the Lord Jesus. We honor you, Lord Jesus, as the King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. God, we declare that you are God, that you are worthy, and that you are good. Even as we sang earlier, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are our Father through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of your blood, Jesus, that you shed your blood so that you could cleanse us and you could draw us near to you. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, Lord. I ask that the Holy Spirit would fall in this place, Father. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be released, God. I pray that your word would be released with authority. I declare the authority of the kingdom of God being released in this place and over this time, even over those that are watching this online, those who are watching this on video. I pray, God, for the power of the Holy Spirit to move, God. Lord, draw our hearts to you, God. Lord, I pray you draw us closer to you, God. I pray you'd move in our hearts, God. Soften our hearts, God. Draw us to, to repentance, God. Draw us to freedom. Draw us to salvation, to deliverance. God, I pray that your word would be released to do the work that you desire for it to do, Father. God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come through this time in your word, through this time of ministry. Be glorified. Release your anointing, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. I'm going to talk about establishing a kingdom culture, talking about the kingdom of God. And in this verse, we get a glimpse into what Jesus was preaching at the beginning of his ministry, it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when it says from that time, it's referring to the time, uh, if you look at the verses preceding it, it talks about how John the Baptist was put in prison. John the Baptist was put in prison because he called out the sin of King Herod. Herod did not like that. He got put in prison. And then eventually it talks about how Jesus moved to the city of Capernaum. And then that's where he began to launch out into his public ministry after he'd received the, the Holy Spirit coming upon him. He'd been tempted in the wilderness. And it says specifically what he was preaching. Preaching means to proclaim, means to declare. And so he said, repent. Notice something. The first word of the first sermon of Jesus Jesus is repent. 
The first word of the first recorded sermon of Jesus in the book of Matthew is repent. But he says specifically why. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does it mean for something to be at hand? Another way to say it is, has drawn near. In other words, when something is at hand, it's close enough to touch. It's within reach is what it means. It's within reach. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is within reach, close enough to touch. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, repent because God's kingdom is here right now. It's so close you can touch it. This was the message he was preaching. This is the message he was bringing. If you go a couple of verses later, verse 23, it says that Jesus went about in the, in the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all types of sickness and all types of disease among the people. He went about their villages. He went about their towns. He went about their cities, teaching in their synagogues, teaching God's word, teaching about the kingdom, preaching the good news or the gospel, what? Of the kingdom. The good news had to do with God's kingdom. The good news had to do with the kingdom of heaven. The good news had to do with God coming and setting up his kingdom on earth. It's at hand. It's within reach. He said that was the good news. And then it says he demonstrated the kingdom by what? Healing people. Healing those who are sick of various diseases. In verse 24, it goes on to talk about how also those who were demonized, those who needed deliverance from unclean spirits were coming and they were set free. So he was preaching the kingdom. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. That was the ministry of Jesus. It's what he was doing. What is a kingdom? What is a kingdom? What does that word mean? If you break it down, it actually means a king's Domain, kingdom, a king's domain, the domain of a king, the territory of a king, the place where a king is ruling and reigning. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where God is reigning. And even though God is sovereign over all, he is the ultimate king. He reigns on earth where he is voluntarily submitted to. He never stops being sovereign. He never stops being the eternal God. He never stops being the creator. But he set things up on the earth, going back to Genesis 1 and 2. He established on the earth where he delegated authority on earth to mankind when he created Adam and Eve. And he set them on the earth. And he said, you have dominion over the earth. He said, you have dominion over the earth. He delegated the authority of earth to mankind. And mankind then had a choice to live in submission to him and his reign. Or, as they did, they were deceived by the serpent and they ate from the wrong tree. And they, they cut off that dependence on God. They became independent. We were never meant to live independent of God. We were never meant to live independent of his rule and reign. We were never meant to live in our own understanding and knowledge apart from the knowledge of God. We're only meant to live in relationship with God. And when Adam and Eve took the bait, ate from the wrong tree, the serpent came in, began to usurp the authority that God had given mankind. See, we need to understand something. Obviously, the devil is no match for God. The devil is no match for God. They are not like these co-equal forces. 
No, God is uncreated. God is the great I am. God is the creator. He is eternal. The devil was a created being. And we get glimpses throughout the Bible about who he was before he fell and you know, Lucifer, the morning star, and all the things he was before his pride exalted him to the place where he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to receive. And that he was cast out of heaven, right? And so he's, the, he's, he's God's enemy, but he's not like an equal match. And so there was no way that he could steal the worship from God or steal the authority from God. So what did he do? He came alongside of God's creation, Adam and Eve, the ones God had delegated the authority to and said, I'm going to come alongside them, see if I can deceive them and usurp that authority. And from that time of the fall of mankind, he began to establish his kingdom, a kingdom of darkness on the earth. He set up his kingdom of darkness on the earth. And the kingdom of darkness thrives in sin. It thrives when there's sin. It thrives when there's idolatry, the worship of false gods. It thrives when there's disobedience to God. It thrives when there's lawlessness. When those things are happening, the kingdom of darkness gets strengthened. And so for a period of thousands of years, a couple thousand years, before Jesus came to the earth as a man, God in the flesh, the, the devil had been establishing his domain. Jesus acknowledged that the devil has a kingdom. He mentioned it in the scriptures. The, the, the devil had been establishing a kingdom of darkness on the earth. And so when Jesus came to the earth, born through Mary, born of a virgin, so he wasn't born through the regular way, he wasn't born through the line of mankind in the regular way. He was born not with, he didn't inherit the same nature. And he steps onto the earth unique in all creation, fully God, fully man. And the devil recognizes who he is. We see from the scriptures that the devil was going after him right from the beginning, right? And so then Jesus comes, when he starts to proclaim his message, when it's time for him to actually preach his message, he summar it's summarized by that phrase, repent, the sentence, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is Jesus saying? There's another kingdom that's now here. There's a new king. There's a new sheriff in town. There's a new realm of authority that's now come to the earth and now through repentance, you can actually enter into that new kingdom. You see, because sin is what ties you to the kingdom of darkness. It was Adam and Eve's sin that made the way for the kingdom of darkness and it is our own personal sin that connects us to the kingdom of darkness. And what is repentance? It is a turn, a change. What is repentance? It is a change of your heart and a change of your mind that leads to a change of behavior. That's what repentance is. It is a change of your heart and mind. What's that? An internal change that leads to a change of behavior. What is that? An external change. That's what repentance looks like. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. It actually involves a change of heart and mind that leads to a change of behavior. Where we change our mind about sin. 
where we used to be deceived by it, where we used to love it, where we used to thrive in it. We, change, we, we, we see sin for what it is. The best illustration, or maybe I should say one of the best illustrations I know of in the, in the scripture of repentance is the story of the prodigal son. In Luke 15, I'm not going to tell the whole story, it'll be a big tangent, but in Luke 15, where the, where the son, the younger son, had left the father's house, he had walked away, he took the goods, he took the inheritance, and he ends up squandering the wealth, and he's in the pig pen, feeding the pigs, and what does it say? He came to his senses. He came to his senses and basically said, what am I doing here? I will return to my father's house. And he, and he goes back not expecting anything, not expecting to be even treated like a son anymore. He said, just treat me like one of your servants. But what does he do? He makes a change of his heart and mind. Then that changes direction. He begins to walk. He begins to change his direction. That's what repentance looks like. Repentance takes you from the pig pen to the father's house. That's what repentance does. And so Jesus says, repent, because God's kingdom is now here. In fact, it's so close you could touch it. See, we always often think about the gospel, about Jesus making the way for us to get to heaven. And while that's obviously a very important part of the gospel, that's not the complete picture of the gospel. I want you to notice the emphasis on the word kingdom. Gospel of the kingdom. That's what he was preaching. The good news of the kingdom of God. Think of it this way. He wasn't just trying to get people to heaven. He was getting heaven to people. He wasn't just trying to get earth to heaven. He was trying to get heaven to earth. God's rule and reign being established on earth. I want you to understand, like I said last week, this is, revol this is a revolutionary term. Because when the kingdom of God advances, guess what happens? The kingdom of darkness gets displaced. Guess what happens? There's a clash. There's a battle. That's why there's spiritual warfare on the earth. That's what, it, that's what the warfare is about. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the souls of mankind. It's about the fate of humanity. All this is happening. There's a clash of kingdoms. And so he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's proclaiming the necessity of repentance because repentance disconnects you from the enemy's kingdom and allows you by faith to enter into God's kingdom. Now jump to Matthew 13 now. We're going to, again, we're, we're talking about the kingdom, establishing the culture of the kingdom. Look at Matthew 13. I want you to notice how often Jesus made the kingdom of God the subject of his teaching. He often taught about the kingdom. He often preached about the kingdom. He told parables about the kingdom. He told us to seek first God's kingdom. This is a high priority. Matthew 13, verse 31. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. 
which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. The kingdom of heaven starts as a small seed, becomes a huge tree, right? That's what he's saying. It's, he said it's like a mustard seed. It's like a little bitty seed. It's so tiny, so tiny. So he says it's like the smallest of all the seeds. But when it's planted in the ground, it begins to grow and it becomes a great, the, this great tree that even the birds of the air can nest on. Look at the next parable, verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Or some translations will say yeast. Kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. I should have my wife talk about this because she's making bread these days. I've never made bread before. So, but I understand that yeast is a part of bread that helps it to rise. Is that right? Am I getting this right? Basic, basically, right? You put leaven in the bread and then it has a permeating influence throughout the rest of the substance and it causes it to actually rise. And he's saying, he's comparing this to the kingdom of God. Now, they would understand about bread and making bread, and they lived on bread, and it was a, one of their staple foods, right? And so he's talking in something that they would understand, farming, planting, eating bread, right? And so he's saying the kingdom of God, first he says like a little seed, you plant it, it grows and becomes this huge tree. Then he says the kingdom of heaven is like this yeast, like a woman took this, this little bit of yeast and put it in the dough, put it in the bread, and then it had a permeating effect until it influenced the rest of the whole batch. And he's saying that's what the kingdom of God is like. What is he saying? The kingdom of God is meant to have a predominant influence in our lives. The kingdom of heaven is meant to have a permeating effect in our lives, in our society, in our culture. God's kingdom is to advance. The Bible says that of the increase of his government, there will be no end. God's kingdom is designed to continually increase. His kingdom is going to increase. We just get to participate. We just get to partner with God in it. We just get to be willing participants when we say, yes, God, I surrender to your lordship. I surrender to you as king. I yield my will to you. I give myself to you. And I'm going to partner with you, God, any way I can to see your kingdom come, to seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. And as God's people are yielded to him, as God's people are walking in obedience to him, as God's people are led by his spirit, filled by his spirit, the kingdom of God is advancing. The kingdom of God is growing. And the kingdom of God is meant to have an influential part, not only in the church, but to impact the world around us. You know, every time there's been major outpourings of the Holy Spirit in, in, in history, it didn't just impact the church. You know, crime rates went down as a byproduct of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
Bars were shut down. Not because the church went out to shut down bars, but as a byproduct of the kingdom of God advancing, people being saved, transformed, delivered, and it, it, having such an influence in the world around that literally bars are shutting down. Crime is going down. Imagine what would happen if God's kingdom just began to advance powerfully in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Do you think it wouldn't impact the school systems? Do you think it wouldn't impact the, the, the education, the social life of people, the drug, the drug addictions, the abortions? Do you think it wouldn't affect all those areas? It might start like a little mustard seed, but when it's cultivated, when it's grown, it might start like a little bit of yeast, but it wants to permeate through. So why am I talking about the word culture, the culture of God's kingdom, establishing a kingdom culture? Let me, let me define that for a minute because I want to get to more of what I want to get into here. I'm gonna, this is my own definition of the word culture. The beliefs, values, and behaviors that are considered to be normal for a particular group. Did you catch that? The beliefs... The values, the behaviors that are considered to be normal for a particular group. Geographic regions, families, churches, businesses, and other groups have a culture that is the norm for them whether they realize it or not. Here's the thing. Every family has a culture. Every church has a culture. Every nation has a culture. Every region has a culture. Every business has a culture. Whether or not it's defined or not, whether, whether or not people would give language to it, whether or not people would define it, these are kind of, the culture is like the unwritten rules of a group of people. It's like the unwritten rules. It's like the traditions that are just what we always do. It's just what we do. It's what we do. Now, why is this important in this discussion? Because there are times when the cultures that we have adopted are going to be at odds with the culture of the kingdom of God. And these are not even necessarily moral issues. Like, there's obvious things like sinful things. I'm not even talking about, like, sinful, obviously dark or sinful or demonic things. I'm just talking about traditions or cultural norms or things that we just have adopted as normal in our family life, in our family upbringing, in our church background, in our church upbringing. And, but sometimes those things are fine, but sometimes they actually clash with the culture of God's kingdom. And when that happens, we are at a fork in the road and we have to make a decision. See, culture, again, it's, a, it's, like a, it's like a permeating influence, unwritten rules and traditions. Just think about the culture of different nations. If you ever travel to a different nation, it's like the customs of what they do, how they greet people. Or when you walk in the door, do you take your shoes off, right? There's certain places where 
that's just customary. You have to take your shoes off when you walk through the door. You have to greet a certain way. You eat with certain utensils. Some places they eat with their hands. Some places they use silverware. Some places they use chopsticks, right? There's just cultural norms. And sometimes, you know, when you go to a different nation, you have to learn some of the cultural norms so you don't accidentally offend somebody, right? Because there's things that they just consider to be normal, and then for you, you're not aware of it. And so there's a clash of cultures that can happen. So the same is true in the kingdom of God. The same is true in the kingdom of God. Here's the truth. God does not conform to our culture. We conform to his. God does not conform to our cultural norms. We conform to his. And this is part of maturity. This is part of maturing. This is part of growing. This is part of growing up as a believer, growing up as a person, is that when you come across something that is contradicts, you come across something in Scripture, you come across something in the kingdom of God, and it contradicts the tradition that you grew up in, what do you do? See, part of maturity is knowing how to honor where you came from while also learning to leave behind certain aspects of where you came from to conform to the image of Christ, to conform to the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? That's part of maturity. Part of maturity is when you get to that fork in the road and you're confronted with something that's different than what you're used to, but it's biblical, but it's godly, but it's of the kingdom of God, is for you to be able to process that and pray it and discern it and make a choice to say, you know what? This is different than I'm used to, but I'm going to go down this path because it's God's kingdom. That's part of maturing. That's part of growing up in Christ. And sometimes that can be hard for us. Now think about it, think about it in the context of church or family traditions church or family culture that maybe you or I grew up in. I'm just going to use my own story as an example. Maybe this will relate to others in the room. But my, my church background, as I've shared before, many of you have heard this, but my church background would have been considered a non-denominational, what they would call Bible church. That's just the term that's used. And basically, it's, it's um, similar to maybe like a Baptist uh, church background where there's, there's a strong emphasis on the teaching of God's word, which is excellent, which needs to be in place. There's a strong emphasis on doctrine and teaching God's word and the scriptures. But there was also, in my church upbringing, there was a belief that very much limited the activity of the Holy Spirit. There was a belief that said, the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't happening today. There was a belief that said speaking in tongues is not for today. Healing's not for today. The prophetic's not for today. And, and that was just, that was their belief system. That was their doctrine. That was their culture. And along with that, when it came to their expression of worship, you couldn't even call it an expression. <laughs> there was no expression. It, 
there was, we played songs. There was a worship band. The majority of the people, I'm not saying this to be critical, or I'm just t- telling you what it was like. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I have, I still to this day, I'm, I have respect for that pastor in that church, even though now I would do things very differently. But I'm grateful for my time there. But, but the way worship would have happened was the songs are playing, and the majority of people would not even be singing. It would be very quiet, and people were just watching, and very few people were even singing. That, that was just, that was the expression of worship. So that was, the, that was my culture that I grew up in. That was just my church culture. So here's the thing. We tend to think that whatever our culture is, is just normal. We tend to think that whatever our culture is, is just right. We tend to think this is just how things go. This is how worship happens. Now, fast forward to the first time I went to a spirit-filled, prophetic Jason Upton. Literally, it was Jason Upton leading worship. If you know who Jason Upton is, he's like a prophetic worship leader. I was at Johns Hopkins University. It's where I graduated from undergrad, my undergrad. And I think it was my junior year, maybe. I can't remember. It was probably my junior year. I'd been walking with the Lord now strongly for a couple of years. I'd radically encountered him at 19, was following him now, serving him. And a couple different churches and a couple different campus ministries gathered together to bring Jason Upton in for a night of worship. I'm like, all right, this is great. Let's go. Woo! Was it different? I mean, dancing. Hey, we did some of that today. Some dancing, some hands in the air, people crying. I mean, one guy falls on the ground, he's laying on the ground, like, what is going, what is going on here? Like, this is just, like, what are these people doing? Like, it was odd to me. It was very odd to me. It was a different environment. It was a different culture. And I'm pretty certain, I'm pretty certain that was the first time I ever lifted up my hands in worship to God. Lifted up my hands in worship to God. The free, just the freedom. The freedom. So what do you do when you go into an environment like that and you're confronted with something that's so radically different than your own church background or tradition? What do you do? You search the scriptures. You say, what does God say about worship? What does the Bible say about worship? Does the Bible talk about people dancing? Does the Bible talk about people lifting their hands? Does the Bible talk about people shouting, bowing before the Lord? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just read, read the Psalms. So what do I do? I make a decision. To honor where I came from, but say, you know what? When it comes to this area, this is actually more biblical. This is actually the culture of God's kingdom. And that's not saying that just because there might be noise or activity, it's always good worship or always pleasing to the Lord. But when you look at biblical worship, all these things are named in there. So then... 
I would visit my parents' church again when I'd be home for summer, I would be the only person in the room lifting my hands. <laughs> Literally. I'd be, I felt like the whole place was staring at me. They probably were. <laughs> but I was set free. I was free. And I was like, I love, I love to lift my hands up to God. And I'm not going to let a prevailing culture or people staring at me hinder me from worshiping God, giving him the worship that he's due. I'll never forget then learning to pray, learning to be a part of prayer meetings, learning to pray out loud in front of other people. My goodness, we never did that. We never did that in our church. We never, we never prayed in front of them. We never, we never did prayer meetings and prayed for each other and laid hands and pr- prayed out loud. And, right, it, was just, it wasn't part of my church culture. See, we can't just limit ourselves to our comfort zones. You know, in the New Testament, you, I get the impression that their prayer meetings were pretty loud. I'm just saying, you read the book of Acts. They didn't appear to be very silent prayer meetings. I don't know why every other culture around the world, for the most part, when they have prayer meetings, they just all go after it. They're really loud. But in America, you have a prayer meeting and it's like everyone just sits there. I don't know why. And again, it's not that every time you pray it has to be all loud. But, but if it's the default mode and if it's out of fear, it's out of comfort zone, it's out of tradition, it's out of fear of man. And so what if, what if I sound this way? I don't want to. St- then we need to break out of that. We need to break out of that. That's why I like to call it kingdom style prayer when we all pray together. Some people call it Korean style because watch a Korean prayer meeting. It's not very quiet. But it's really just kingdom. It says in Acts 4, they lifted their voices together in prayer to God. See, I had to, I, I had to change. That's the thing. You come into an environment where things are like, ooh, this is different. I totally get that. Some of you have come into threshold and it's been like that for you. Like, what? In, where, where, where am I? This is very different than what I grew up in. This is not my mama's church. But it, here's what it is. That discomfort, you know what it is? It's an invitation. It's an invitation for growth. It's an invitation to step out of a comfort zone and adopt the culture of God's kingdom and branch out of the culture of my own tradition, my own upbringing, my own family life. Again, not to dishonor and not that we throw everything away, but we, but we differentiate between, hey, these are some great things I want to carry on from my church upbringing. The value for scriptures that I learned as a young person in that church environment, I want to hold on to that. I need to hold on to that. But this whole thing about the Holy Spirit, but the, that's not biblical. So I'm not going to hold on to that part, but I can still honor while I branch into what God has. Here's a great example that's very relevant to us at Threshold because of you know, the emphasis that, that we, we often have on deliverance, right? 
What is deliverance? Well, it's casting out demons. It's freeing people from evil spirits. Do you know that that's a normal part of the kingdom of God? You know, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 28. He says, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. That one of the signs of the kingdom of God being near, one of the signs of the kingdom of God advancing is that demons are expelled. They're cast out. <clears throat> so imagine me from my background and my upbringing casting out demons. I mean, it's like the strangest thing in the world, but God did it. That's why I say, if I can cast out demons, anybody else can. I'm the most least likely candidate. Come on, we can all do this. It's part of God's kingdom. It's part of God's kingdom. And we have to learn what is normal according to the Bible and normal according to Jesus instead of what's normal according to my church tradition. You know, people, people are like, Jake, why are you always casting out demons? That's so weird. Why do you think it's weird? Have you ever read the Gospels? I'm a follower of Jesus. Why would I not cast out demons? Right? But, but our church background influences, we, we don't realize how much our culture has influenced us. Let's just talk about the supernatural in general. See, we live in a society where the cultural norm is to essentially make fun of the supernatural. It's only for entertainment's sake, right? All the movies have paranormal, crazy, occultic type stuff in it. But everything is based on intellect, scientific, reasoning, humanism, naturalism, evolution, right? Anything miraculous, anything supernatural is completely mocked. I went to Johns Hopkins University, a secular university. I, believe me, I, I, I know what, that, what's, what it's like. See, that is the prevailing culture of the West. Now, you go to other places like the East, you go to Africa, you go to South America. It's not really like that. They're actually much more open to the supernatural in general. It doesn't mean it's always the right supernatural. Because God is supernatural, but not everything supernatural is God. But in a Western culture, in a Western culture, it's an anti-supernatural culture. But what's the culture of the kingdom? It very much involved, includes the supernatural power of God. Absolutely includes the supernatural power of God. Just let me give you a real example that, you know, is practical. But in the Gospels, when Jesus healed people, sometimes he would cast a demon out of them. Have you ever noticed that? When you read through the Gospels, there are some times where Jesus would heal a person just by speaking a word, by laying a hand. Sometimes he would heal a person by casting out a demon. So what does that teach us? What do I learn from that? Well, I learn from that that sometimes sicknesses are actually caused by evil spirits. Now, next time you go to your doctor, I want you to tell him that. See, we all laugh because we know how they would respond, right? They'll send you to the other doctor. <clears throat> because, see, that's our culture 
the prevailing culture. It's just, it's just an unwritten rule. It's just a, it's just a tradition. It's just a held belief that, that miraculous things aren't really real, that, you know, maybe there is a God, but, but he, you know, he never really inter, intervenes in our lives. And, and so when you tell a doctor about a miraculous healing, when you tell a doctor you got delivered from a demon, unless they happen to be a spirit-filled believer, they're going to throw, throw you out. But we live in a different kingdom. See, here's the reality. We are citizens of the kingdom of God right now, those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you are actually, the Bible calls it, a citizen of heaven. So we are simultaneously living in two worlds. We have dual citizenship. Yes, we are walking this earth, but this is not our permanent home. We are walking this earth. We are citizens of a, of a nation on this earth. But we are also citizens of a whole other nation, a whole other kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. We are citizens of that kingdom, and that kingdom trumps this one. And that culture trumps this one. And so what am I challenging all of us? I'm challenging all of us to examine, am I willing to examine some of the beliefs I have, some of the cultural norms I just have, the traditions I have, whether from church, whether from family. And I am not talking about being dishonorable. I'm not talking about dishonoring your family or your church. Or, but I'm talking about examining to see what really lines up with the kingdom of God, what really lines up with Scripture. And then making the hard decision, because it's not easy. When you branch out of a cultural norm, you become the target. Because nobody likes it when the apple cart gets bumped around. So if you're the only one in your family that's kind of branching out into a new area, if you're, the, if you're branching out of a church background that's very different, and then all of a sudden you're Coming to Threshold Church, oh, be careful. They're a little bit, you know, you might get deceived by this or that. And I'm, I'm having fun up here, but I'm hopefully not overstepping, being, being too sarcastic. But, but it's, it's true. It's true. That, I mean, the very things that we see all over the pages of Scripture we get warned, don't be careful. It's, you, know, you might get deceived if you do that. Be careful. And do we have to be aware of deception? Yes, of course we do. But I hear this all the time. You know, People go to YWAM. They go to some ministry school. They go and they encounter God. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. They go back to their home church on fire. They're excited. They can't wait to tell their friends. They can't wait to, and what happens? The leadership completely quenches the spirit on them. The leadership says, oh, be, care oh, that's, be careful. That's false. Are you going to get deceived if you do? And then they're like, what do I do? I'm lost. I don't know where to go. I don't, it happens all the time. What about, what about some other examples here? What if 
you grew up in a family culture where the unwritten rule, maybe it was spoken, maybe it wasn't, could have been spoken, could have been not, was that you do not express your emotions. Where you do not express emotions. You don't express your feelings. You don't express joy. You don't express tears. You don't express grief. And so what do you do? You learn that emotions are bad. You learn that expressing emotions are bad. You especially learn that crying is bad. What if that was a family culture that you grew up in? Then you come to the things of God. You come, you know, God's spirit's moving on you and you feel yourself, you know, welling up a tear, but you just, you got to shut it down. You got to shut it down. I can't cry. I can't cry. It's, it's, it's wrong to cry. It's not. You, you learn to shut down your emotions. Where in the world would we get that from the Bible? You know, what if, what if, you, grew, what if you grew up hearing that, you know, real men don't cry? I'd be in trouble. I could, hardly do, I, I could hardly go a day without shedding tears. Well, how does that measure up to the Bible? Well, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. That, that settles it for me right there. Jesus wept. Paul wept. Paul was, you can read through his letters, he wept. David wept. These are men of God. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, he wept. And you're going to tell me that we shouldn't let emotions be expressed? Now, we shouldn't be run by our emotions. We shouldn't be led by our emotions. All, but, but, we should, but emotions are a way God made us. Jesus expressed joy. Jesus expressed grief. Jesus expressed sorrow. See, but we, if we grew up in a culture where you had to shut it down, shut it down, shut it down, shut it down, it's not okay. You get made fun of, you get belittled, you get punished, you get called names, you get, right? All these things, and you learn over time, it's not okay to do this. I can't express this. I get shut. And, then you, and then, you, then you carry that on. See, God wants to break you out of that. God wants to free you up to express love, to express emotion, to express joy, to express grief. What if you grew up in a culture, I learned this the hard way, because I moved from Texas to Lancaster County. I don't know if you can get two polar opposite types of cultures. Tyler came from Texas. There you go. What if you grew up in a culture where you avoid conflict at all costs? Like... You never address anything. You never allow there to be a conflict. You never bring something up. Like if you get offended or if you get hurt or something, somebody does something, you just, you never bring it up. You never talk about it, but instead you re very passively punish the person anyways. <laughs> or you talk about it with everybody else except that person. 
Does that sound familiar to anybody? I don't know. Does that like, does that ring a bell? I don't think Texas was like that. I must be talking about Lancaster. Um, and he, You, you start, I, 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 I've been here for nine years now, and uh, I learned the hard way a couple of times. I bumped into some stuff. I'm like, what is going on here? Like, what is, what is going on? Why is, why is this? See, we were taught, we in this area, we're, we're taught that you avoid conflict at all costs. It's wrong to have a conflict. You keep the peace no matter what. You never bring something up. You never, so then you, then you resort to passive aggressive manipulation and all kind of guilting and shaming and you still try to get your way. You still try to, you know, but you cannot just have a, just a direct healthy conversation. I'm not talking about being angry or, you know, being cutting. I'm just talking about just having healthy dialogue. What did Jesus, how do I know that's not the kingdom of God? Well, because you read the gospels. Jesus said, if somebody sins against you, you go talk to them about it. You bring it up to them. Or he also says, if, you, if you're going to pray, you're going to the altar, and you remember you have something against someone else, you go make it right. You go talk, directly talk to them. That's the kingdom. That's actually how it works in the kingdom of God. And the whole idea of trying to just keep the peace no matter what and the, this passive way of dealing with it, it's not just anti-kingdom. It's actually dysfunctional. And it causes division, it causes slander, it causes a lot of wrong things to happen. Because here's the thing, when an offense happens and you do not go to that person to talk about it, months and months and months and months go by, you have now created, you've now, you've now figured out why they did it. You've now assigned the motive. You've determined what they did, why they did it. And then that now puts a lens over your eyes. And now you are seeing that person through a wrong lens. Now, every time you have an interaction with them, you are seeing them through that lens. Whether it's accurate or not. Saul got offended at David. Saul got offended at David. He got jealous of David. David was Saul's most loyal subject. Most loyal subject. But when Saul let offense come in and jealousy and the offense came in, he then, it said, he eyed David with suspicion from that day on. He began to throw spears at him and try to get rid of him because an offense created a distorted lens and made his most loyal subject look like an enemy. That's the dysfunction, that's the division, that's the detrimental effects of, having a, of embracing a culture that says, I'm going to avoid conflict, I'm never going to address anything. It's not the kingdom. So what does that mean? That means we have to get out of our comfort zones and be willing to have some of those challenging conversations. Even if we're shaking and if we're nervous and if we're, you know, it's, that's okay. You don't have to do it perfectly. You don't have to say it perfectly. You don't. And then we also need to create a safe place if somebody does bring something up that we don't react in an angry way. And in a, right, we need to be able to hear and have conversation. The 
Let's stand to our feet. If I can get, I don't know who's, if, like someone on the keyboard. We need to embrace the culture of God's kingdom. I'm just going to mention a couple points about the culture of God's kingdom. And I had you stand up because it helps me go fast. Because we're going to get to a ministry time. We're actually, we're actually going to do deliverance tonight. Some people are going to get delivered from demons tonight. The Holy Spirit put it on my heart this week that we, that we need to go after deliverance in this meeting. These people are going to get set free from unclean spirits that have been oppressing you, tormenting you, keeping you in bondage, putting thoughts in your mind. We're going to, we're going to go there in just a, just a minute or two. But I just want to mention a couple points. What is the culture of God's kingdom? Well, I could do a whole series on this. I told Tyler I could probably preach for two hours tonight, but I won't. The culture of the kingdom, I'm just going to mention a couple quick points. One, it is permeated by love and humility. The culture of God's kingdom is permeated by love and humility. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, I was really struck by this recently. I was just reading Matthew 4 at the beginning of this message. And what it says in the ongoing passages, it says that the crowd started swelling. The crowd started coming. All the people were gathering by the thousands. They were coming to listen to Jesus. And then in chapter 5, it, again, it talks about all the crowds are coming. And so then he's about to give this message, this big message. And the very first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He starts going through, we call it the Beatitudes. And he starts teaching about, this is how he's teaching about God's kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who, that means that you're needy, you're dependent on God. You know your need. You know your dependence. He said, theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. He keeps going through this whole list. I might have missed some in there. I know I'm just doing it from off the top of my head, but he's naming these things. And he eventually says, blessed are you. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when they despise you and reject you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. For so they treated the prophets who were before you. Jesus has thousands of people gathered to him, and this is the first, this is the message that he shares. He didn't say three steps to your best life. Did you notice that? Three, three steps to your promotion. How to be happy. Actually, this is kind of how to be happy. That word blessed means happy, the kingdom way. See, it's an upside down kingdom. See, in this kingdom, in order to live, you have to die. In this kingdom, in order to get, it's about giving. 
in order to be promoted, you humble yourself. You humble yourself. It's a kingdom that's permeated with love, dying to self, loving others, walking in humility. It's a kingdom, number two, the culture of the kingdom of transformation and holiness. It's a kingdom of transformation. Paul said that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The gospel of the kingdom is not just so that your sins are forgiven, it's so that your life is transformed. It's so that your life is transformed and you walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he's given you by his grace to walk in. And that we love holiness. And that we give ourselves to God completely. Do you know, heaven's a holy place. I'm convinced that many people actually really don't want heaven. They just don't want to go to hell. See, heaven's about Jesus. Heaven's about him. It's focused on him, his glory, his majesty, worshiping before the throne, bowing before him. That's the kingdom of heaven. And God loves us so much that he wants to provide for us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to fill us with his love. He wants to protect, right? He's a good king. He's a good father. And then the third point I'll make is that the kingdom of heaven, the culture of God's kingdom, one of the aspects is the supernatural power of God. The supernatural power of God is normal in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. The kingdom of God, it's not in talk, it's not just in words, it's not just in teaching, but in power. That's the word dunamis in the Greek. It means supernatural power. Power for the conviction of sin, for the repentance, to, for transformation, for healing, for deliverance, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for the prophetic. That's all part of the kingdom of God. That's a normal part of God's kingdom. And so even if that wasn't normal for me in my upbringing, that's normal for God's kingdom. So I say yes and amen. Yes and amen. Yes and amen to the power of God, to transformation, to holiness, to humility, to a lifestyle of love, walking in love. Now we're gonna flow into a time of ministry. And I just, yeah, I wasn't planning this till about Wednesday, I think Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning, I had a sense from the Holy Spirit that we're supposed to actually move into a time of deliverance right now. You know, we do monthly deliverance services, but every once in a while, we just got to do it right here in our Sunday service because it's part of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so we're going to walk through a prayer. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Let me just pray. Let me just pray right now for a minute or two, and then we're going to we're going to flow into this time of ministry. God's going to set people free tonight. Father, I thank you for this time. God, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for what you're doing in this room. God, I thank you right now. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit, God, let the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, fall upon us in a powerful way, in a tangible way, God. Let your Holy Spirit come right now in this room, God, over the live stream, those that are watching, Lord. Let the power of the Holy Spirit, God, move in the hearts of people. Be released right now, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. I declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand in this room. 
In the name of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I declare, Lord, that the heavens are opened up in this place, Lord. Let the heavens be opened up. I thank you for your angels on assignment, God, ascending and descending in this room. I thank you, Lord, for your manifest presence and your glory in this place. Holy Spirit, would you draw us to Jesus? Would you draw us to repentance where we need repentance, where we need to turn for the kingdom of God is at hand, where we need to repent, where we need to turn away from sin and deception and the lies? Would you pour out the power of your spirit to heal broken hearts, to set captives free, to cast out demons tonight, God, because you are here, Jesus. Your kingdom is at hand in this place. So I thank you for freedom. I thank you for freedom tonight. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for liberty released across this place in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're going to walk through a prayer of deliverance. I know I didn't really teach a whole lot on deliverance. Just mention it quickly, but that's okay. We're going to walk through a prayer of deliverance. I often base this on James 4, verse 7, where it says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That's the pattern. Submit to God. That's repentance. That's turning to God. That's making sure our life comes into agreement with him. Submitting ourselves to God. Resist the devil. That's actively standing against the enemy. For deliverance, that means casting out any unclean spirit. So we're going to walk through prayer like that together. I'm going to lead us all through a prayer. I have no doubt people are going to get delivered tonight in this room. People are going to get set free from oppression, from torment, from bondages, even from sicknesses, infirmities. So I want everybody in the room, and I want you, if you're watching this, to pray. Pray along. Do it with faith, with authority, with boldness. If you're on our ministry team, if you're on our deliverance ministry team, I want you to come to the front. There should be a handful that are here. If you're on our deliverance ministry team, you can make your way toward the front area. I want you to pray. I want everyone to pray this out with me, okay? Heavenly Father, I come into your holy presence. By the precious blood of Jesus, I worship and honor you as the one true living God. And I submit to Jesus Christ as my Lord. I ask for your Holy Spirit to come upon me, to bring freedom to me and deliverance to me. In the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the Son of God. That you are the only way to the Father. I believe that you came in the flesh. That you died on the cross for my sins. And that you rose from the dead. Thank you for your finished work. Thank you for shedding your blood that I could be redeemed, that I could be forgiven, that I could be set free. Come on, just give him thanks for a minute. Just in your own words, in your own words, just lift up thanks to him. Thank him for his work. Thank you. Thank him for the blood that was shed. Thank him for coming to this earth to save you, to deliver you, to heal you, to restore you.
Now we're going to walk through two specific steps of submitting ourselves to God. One is repentance. The other is forgiveness, forgiving others. We're going to walk through those two. There's others we could do, but we're going to do those two. The first one is repentance. I talked about repentance a little earlier. God, I pray, Lord, let your Holy Spirit bring conviction, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit bring conviction, Lord. Lord, if there's areas of sin, God, if there's areas where we've been dabbling in, in sexual immorality, God, if there's areas we've been dabbling in, in um, just lying, God, or just deceiving or, or uh, stealing or pride or our words, how we speak, Lord, let your Holy Spirit come with conviction, Lord, to draw us to true repentance, God. I want you to pray this out after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I submit myself to you. I want every area of my life to be in agreement with you and with your word. I come into your light and I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back. I turn away from all sin. I desire to live a holy life pleasing to you, but I can't do it on my own. I need your grace. I need the power of your spirit. So help me, God. Specifically, I confess. Now I'm going to give you like two or three minutes here as they play behind us in the music. If there's areas that you need to repent of, you need to confess sin to God, you need to come into the light, just begin to confess that to God. Begin to pray that out. Begin to repent right now. Just repent right now before the Lord. Take the next couple minutes. I encourage you to be specific. Be specific. Name those things that you need to re release to God. Turn away from them. seconds. We're going to walk through another really important step here, which is part of the culture of God's kingdom, which is forgiveness, which is because Jesus forgives us that he asks us, he commands us to forgive those who have hurt us, who have sinned against us abused us, who have betrayed us. It doesn't mean that what happened to you is okay. It doesn't justify anything that happened when somebody sinned against you, if somebody abused you. It does not mean it's okay that they did that. It doesn't mean you have to keep putting up with that type of behavior and letting it happen. Okay, I want to be clear about that. People can use the, word, the term forgiveness to misuse it and make you think you just have to keep allowing somebody to abuse you and that's not what I'm saying but we can for between you and God you can forgive 
and release bitterness, release hatred, release anger, release resentment, and release it to God. When you do that, you're actually, there's a prison door that gets open. You get set free from a prison. So we're gonna walk through that step. It's really important, I know, for people in this room. So I want you to pray this out. Say, Lord Jesus, because you have forgiven me, I choose to freely forgive every person who's ever sinned against me or hurt me in any way. I lay down all hatred. I lay down all resentment. I lay down all revenge. And I choose to forgive. Specifically, I forgive. Now I want you to actually be real specific and name people that you need to name. Okay, I want you to do it out loud. Not, you don't have to yell it out loud, but just say it verbally. Say, Jesus, I choose to forgive and speak out the person's name. Some people are going to get healed tonight from abuse that happened in their lives. God's going to release healing into your soul as you begin to forgive. The healing anointing of the Holy Spirit just moving into your soul right now. Just release it to God. Just say, Jesus, I forgive. Say that name. prison doors open up. Let the prison doors open up right now. In the name of Jesus, I declare healing, the healing anointing of the Holy Spirit moving into your soul right now, bringing wholeness where trauma came, where abuse came, and fractured those parts of the soul. I declare healing right now. Be whole. Be made whole. Be made whole. Be restored in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you, God. All right, now we're going to resist the devil together. We're going to we're going to command every unclean spirit that has influence in our lives to leave, to go. That's the authority of the kingdom of God. That's the authority God's given us as sons and daughters of his kingdom, that we can resist the devil and he flees. So I want you to speak this out loud with me, okay? Let's say this. Say, I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. I declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord. And by the authority of Jesus' name, I speak to every unclean spirit that has any influence in my life. And I command you to come out in the name of Jesus. Go right now in Jesus' name. Now I want you to lift your hands up for a minute as I pray. I'm going to begin to pray over the whole congregation for a few minutes. Father, right now I say, come Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, come. Let the power of the Holy Spirit come right now. Fall upon the people in this room. Right now, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
The Spirit of God comes upon you right now. The power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, walk through this room right now. Walk through this room. Let the fire of the Holy Spirit come and burn up every demonic seed right now. Right now, let the power of God break the yoke. Break the yoke. The yoke is broken in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I rebuke every unclean spirit that has influence in the lives of these people, and I say, come out in the name of the Lord Jesus now. In Jesus' name, I command every unclean spirit that has influence in the lives of people, I say, come out in the name of the Lord Jesus right now. I rebuke the spirit of oppression. Spirit of oppression, come out in Jesus' name. Come out in the name of Jesus Christ. I rebuke that spirit of torment. Spirit of torment, come out in Jesus' name. I rebuke every spirit that torments you in the night. Come out, come out, come out in Jesus' name. Go from them now in Jesus' name. Every lying spirit, come out in the name of the Lord Jesus right now. Go from their lives, go from their lives in Jesus' name. Go, 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 out in the name of Jesus. Every unclean spirit, leave them now, leave them now. Out of the people, in Jesus' name. I, I command the spirit of heaviness to come out. Spirit of heaviness, come out in the name of the Lord Jesus now. Go from their lives. Spirit of depression, come out in Jesus' name. Every spirit of depression, go in Jesus' name. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. We're going to stay in this vein for a few more minutes. If you need to put your hands down, you can put your hands down. But keep your eyes, keep your attention on Jesus. He is the deliverer. He's setting people free. I thank you, God. I thank you right now in this room. Your kingdom come. The authority of your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, let there be light, God. Let there be light that expels the darkness. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I command every unclean spirit that came in through childhood trauma, trauma in childhood. I just saw the Lord was going to be touching people where there was a fear and torment and oppression that came in childhood because of an abuse that happened. It might have been, I think it was probably a sexual abuse that happened and it caused you, to, there was a part of your soul that got fractured, it got captured, it got... Father, right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I set the people free from captivity. Be set free from it in Jesus' name. I command every unclean spirit that came through childhood trauma and abuse, come out in the name of the Lord Jesus now. Out, out, out. It goes right now. Out right now. Out right now. Out right now. In the name of Jesus, I command every unclean spirit that came through sexual abuse, come out in the name of the Lord Jesus. I rebuke that spirit of torment that comes out in Jesus' name. I rebuke that spirit of fear It comes out in the name of the Lord Jesus. I rebuke the spirit of confusion that comes out in Jesus' name. Every spirit of perversion out in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your healing presence. Let your healing presence Lord, that you would just walk alongside of every person that's receiving right now. Let them know that you are with them, God. Send your angels to minister, God. Let them, let them know you are, you are with them, God, that they are safe. I just speak that over you. You are safe. You are safe. You are safe. I command the spirit of suicide. Come out in the name of Jesus Christ. Every unclean spirit that puts thoughts of suicide in the minds of people, come out in the name of the Lord Jesus. Go right now in Jesus' name. I rebuke the spirit of death. Spirit of death.
come out in Jesus' name. Every spirit of the fear of death, darkness, get out. Go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. command every unclean spirit connected to sexual immorality, sexual perversion, pornography, sexual fantasy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I command every unclean spirit of sexual immorality come out in the name of Jesus Christ. I rebuke every spirit of pornography out in the name of Jesus. I rebuke every spirit of lust or perversion, every spirit of sexual sin in any way. Come out, go, go, go. Leave them now out from the people in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for freedom, for freedom, for freedom, for freedom, for freedom right now, Lord. Prison doors be open. Prison doors be open. I command a spirit of infirmity. Come out in Jesus' name. I command every spirit that causes physical affliction, pain, infirmity. Come out in the name of Jesus. Every spirit of infirmity. Come out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every spirit that causes pain, affliction, infirmity. Go from them now. Leave them in Jesus' name. I command you to go out in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. 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 Thank you for your peace. I command a spirit of anxiety come out, out, out in the name of the Lord Jesus. Every spirit that causes anxiety, I command go out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every spirit that causes fear, spirit of fear goes out, out in Jesus' name. I break the power of the spirit of addiction. Spirit of addiction come out in the name of Jesus. Go, oh, go. Every spirit of addiction to substance, to alcohol, to drugs, come out in the name of Jesus. I break that generational curse and cycle. I release you from it now. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of anger. Come out in Jesus' name. Spirit of anger goes out in the name of Jesus right now. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, for peace, for peace, for peace, freedom in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your cleansing, for your spirit moving. everybody doing out there? Is everybody okay? How many people have actually felt something leave them so far tonight? Would you put your hands up if you felt something like come out of you and leave you? Put your hands up. Can you wave them around a little bit? Just want to awesome, awesome. Can we just clap our hands? That's awesome. Thanks for being brave. Thanks for being brave to put your hand up. I saw several, several hands in the room. It's awesome. See, deliverance isn't that bad, is it? Doesn't have to be too crazy. So in just a minute, we're gonna open up the altars for more prayer. We're gonna dismiss for people that need to go and get their kids. I just wanna do kind of a closing prayer. I wanna ask you to put your hand over your heart and just pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us because with deliverance, we don't just want to get rid of stuff. We want to also be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want you to pray this. Say, Heavenly Father, 
I thank you that in Christ Jesus, you've made me a temple for the Holy Spirit. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me. Let every area of my life be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let every area that used to be under demonic influence now be filled with the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. I want you to keep your eyes on the Lord. I'm just going to pray into that for a minute. Father, would you fill every person with the Holy Spirit, God. Let your Holy Spirit fill them, Lord. Your word said that rivers of living water would come from out of their innermost being. Let rivers of living water fill them up, God. Let the love of God be shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. Let them be filled with your love, with your truth. Lord, let your word take deeper root in our hearts. Let your Holy Spirit fill every area, God. God, empower us by your Spirit. I pray for a baptism of the Holy Spirit to come upon each one, Father. Lord Jesus, you're the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Would you baptize with the Holy Spirit? Would you fill each one with your grace, with your love, with your power, with your holiness? In the name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Let's just give the Lord thanks. Let's give the Lord thanks. Let's give the Lord thanks and praise. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. For more information about Threshold Church, visit the website at threshold-church.com.